into our, our Bible study tonight, Joshua chapter 7. If you guys want to turn there in your Bibles, turn there in your notes. In these last chapters, we've just seen the lead up there to uh, the children of Israel going into the promised land. Saw the Jordan River split by God's hand and then pass through. And then the first city that God wanted them to take, really city-state, kind of a, these are cities slash nations, was Jericho there. And remember, God gave them the uh, battle plan to march around the city for seven days, and on that seventh day to march around it seven times, and to shout praise to God. And he said, the walls are going to fall down, and you're going to go in and take the city. And the instruction was given, they followed the instruction, and as they uh, gave that shout to the Lord on that seventh day at the seventh time around the walls did fall down and god uh gave victory to israel we saw that rahab was saved this woman of faith and you know it we took note that her house was on the wall and part of the wall must have stayed up because her house was held intact and even talked about building our house on the rock of christ and how it withholds storms and beautifully i think one of the most beautiful things in the chapter was that not only was she saved, but her house was packed full of people that as well heard the gospel and the good news and put faith in the Lord, and that's a glorious thing. And then we saw after that there was a decree given concerning Jericho that the Lord said, curses the man who rebuilds the city. It would cost them the life of their firstborn. And sadly, we saw on the day of Ahab that city was rebuilt, and not only was it the builder's firstborn son that was taken but it was also another child too and they weren't just taken he offered them up as sacrifices and that was heartbreaking and then at the very end it says that joshua's fame was spreading and again it wasn't about joshua and his person but god the god that he served and it was being spread that listen the lord is with this man and god is going for israel and Again, there in that chapter, just many praise reports and glorious victories and so forth. But notice the first verse of Joshua chapter 7. It says, but. And we've talked about that word a lot. And, and so oftentimes in the scripture, that word but is so glorious and good. Because it will be man did this and man did that. And we fell here and we struggle here and we're weak and all these things. Or, you know, the enemy's plots and plans, but the Lord. And we rejoice, but the Lord. And if it weren't for but the Lord, we're all, we're all just sinners under condemnation with wrath on us, but the Lord. You know, but the Lord sent his son. And he sent, lived a, 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 a holy life and died for our sins and rose from the grave. And again, we have no hope but the Lord. And we rejoice in that. And and in that sense, but is so good in so many places where it comes up. But listen, there's other places where that word but, it brings in things that are so bad. And look, at we look at this great victory and, and, and God's hand just moving in a phenomenal way. I mean, you know, again, they're, they're seeing literally the hand of God go before them, sustaining them in that wilderness for 40 years, literally splitting that Jordan River and them walking through, really seeing a miracle in it, seeing the battle plan, which would so much go against man's way of doing things, and his thoughts are so much higher, and, you know, walk around the city seven days, and then, you know, at the seventh time on the seventh day, give praise to God, and the walls fall down, and they do. And when you know you've gotten direct uh, instruction from the Lord, and that happens, I mean, how could you not but step back and just rejoice in the lord and your awe of god abound and you would think that it would make you go man i want to listen to everything he says and abound and walk in him it says here but and the but is remember before and we'll get into this he says go in and take the city burn everything in it except for the gold and silver and those things and those all go to the lord the first fruits go to the lord abstain from the accursed things lest a curse comes upon you and israel and you trouble the land. And again, in chapter 7, we're going to see that this but here is a bad thing because someone went in and they troubled the land. Achan went in and troubled the land. So let's read this first verse. It says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. 
For Achan, the son of Camri, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took the accursed things. And then notice here, notice the title of the message tonight is something that's not talked a lot about, something that is ignored by a lot of people, but absolutely, this is something that we should be aware of, and we should be aware of the fact that there are some things that anger the Lord. It says, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. And again, this man saw God's hand move mightily. The, 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 the command was given clear, look at the first fruits belong to God. These people are a wicked people. They're a people under judgment. Don't take the things that belong to them. If it can't pass to the fire, it's meant to be burnt up, lest it stick to you. And back there in Joshua 6, 18, he says, And you, by all means, again, by all means, whatever it takes, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse troubling it and in the midst of all of this in the midst of this command hn we see he didn't fear god I, I i don't know if it was a thing that you know he just didn't think god would follow through i think there's a lot of people in that place today you know the bible speaks of judgment even when we talk about the love of god and the grace of god it all goes around god taking the judgment due us upon himself at the cross Again, think of John three sixteen, the most famous verse, I would think, in the world. You know, you, you see it all the time, praise God, even to this day. It pops up in different places, and we know it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And we rejoice. Look at the love of God is shown there. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What a message of love. But notice, whoever believes in him shall not perish. And that means if you don't believe, you will perish. It means wrath is upon you. The perishing there is talking about eternity under the wrath of God or under the anger of God, under the judgment of God forever and ever and ever and ever in a place called hell that I've mentioned so often. Jesus talked about more than anyone else in the Bible and a place that Jesus talked about far more than he ever talked about heaven. And I think there's so many people running around hearing God is love, God is love, God is love, and God is love that they really don't believe that God will send anyone to hell. They really don't believe that God's the judge. They don't really believe that God, as the scripture says, is a man of war, that the wrath of God is a real thing. And I just have to wonder with Achan is, you know, God had even been so patient with them and blessed them in the wilderness. And, you know, he even said, you know, you didn't do anything to earn my favor. I chose you. And then seeing again the, the Jordan split and the victory comes so easy. If somewhere in his mind, he just lost the fear of God and said, surely, you know, this won't happen. As we'll see here tonight, if you're not familiar, he takes some of the accursed things. He takes some treasures he hides them in a tent and again trouble comes to the nation and it costs many people their lives because of this one man's sin and somewhere along the line he just didn't think god was holy enough to do it was thinking that well god's like us he's just you know god is love and god is love but god is the judge and there's times when god gets angry he gets angry with the sins of the world, and there's times when he loves us, but he can get angry with us. Oh, that's not my God. Let me ask you tonight, do you love your children? Of course I love my kids. Do you ever get angry at your kids? If you're a parent worth your salt, you do. Oh, I never just, you know, I just let them go out and explore and be whatever they want to be. No. You get angry when they misbehave, and you do that because you know it's to their harm. You know, it's to their shame. You know, it's to the harm of others. And again, your anger when they're your children is not to destroy them, but to correct them that they would not be destroyed. And again, we're a fallen people. We're a sinful people. But you look around the world at the great rebellion against God, and if that doesn't make you angry, there is something wrong with you. There really is. You don't have a pulse or you just don't get the effects of sin 
and the bondage that the world around us is in. And you better believe that there are times when the anger of the Lord, as it says here, burns. And notice it burns against the children of Israel, the people of God in covenant with God. Think about that Laodicean church when God says, I'm going to spit you or vomit you out of my mouth. Do you think he was pleased with that church? Oh, I, you know, I'm just the God of love. And by the way, in my love, I'm going to vomit you out. It was, but as a rebuke out of his anger of them mixing their opinion with God's word and saying, look at us. We're so accomplished and we're so rich. And he says, you're poor, you're miserable, you're not going to blind. And what you're practicing and peddling is hurting people. And that makes me angry. And again, the anger of God is always righteous. It's always upright. It's always against sin and man's rebellion, which harms people and takes away from God's glory. Because listen, he is God. He is Lord. Achan obviously also thought that he could be blessed while facilitating sin. Again, he saw that treasure, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, how at the end he'll confess of how this unfolded, and there's a lot of things that we can learn from. He thought he could bring that accursed thing into his tent and still walk in the blessings of the Lord because of God's love that's been demonstrated to them. It doesn't work that way. Yes, God is gracious. God is merciful. Listen, if he, if he wasn't, we're in trouble every moment of our day. But when we willfully say, I will do as I will, and I won't abstain from the accursed things, well, I don't need to abstain from them because I'm under grace. That's an abuse of grace. And if you're a real son or daughter of God and you walk in that way, God will bring correction. And if he doesn't, you're illegitimate. You need to question your salvation. And again, we don't need to look farther than ourselves. A good parent who loves their kids is going to correct them when they're in such a place. He obviously, uh, you know, thought that, that, again, God was not being truthful, that he wouldn't follow through with his judgment. Again, took God's grace and mercy for granted and then thought his way was better. I can steal this, I can bury it, and then I can go out and, you know, play Christian in the camp, so to speak, and I'll have the best of both worlds. Boy, those are temptations the devil brings all the time. Ultimately, again, he lost or never had the fear of God. It's so important that we heed even the instruction given to them because this isn't just isolated to them where he says, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed. There are things that God wants us to abstain from. You know, the Bible teach abstinence when it comes to sin. <laughs> it teaches to stay away from it. It, stay, it teaches to shun it, lest it bring trouble into your soul, into your home, into your walk with the Lord. And again, God is merciful. God is gracious. But this is written to the church here. We'll go under the new covenant. Galatians 6, 7. I read it all the time because I think it's so pertinent and powerful and so clear cut. Don't be deceived. And I think it starts there because there's so much deception in this. Very much like Achan was deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. And it's mocking God when we say, I can take the accursed things into my life and there not be any consequences concerning that. You are mocking and we're mocking the living God when we take on that mindset. Again, we're going to stumble and bumble and we're a work in progress. But again, H, and this was a deliberate act that then was hidden and covered up, we'll see. And then even at the end, he didn't even bring it forth and confess it until he was finally brought into the light to the breaking down of who had taken the accursed thing. Let's not deceive ourselves in these things. God's not mocked. Look, don't fall into that trap of abusing God's grace to walk in accursed things. And think that there's not going to be a correction in that. That's a mockery of the Lord. Again, it says here in verse 8, He who sows to the flesh of the flesh will reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit of the Spirit will reap everlasting life. So many verses that go along with this. 
2 Corinthians 6, 17 is pretty powerful. He says, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Notice, do not touch what's unclean, or you can say, don't touch what's cursed, and I'll receive you. He's talking to believers here. I will be to you, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And I'll tell you, when we bring the accursed things in, it hinders that fellowship with the Lord. Just as it grieves the Holy Spirit and quenches the Spirit of God, that also quenches fellowship with the Father. I mean, I think we understand this practically even in relationships. When someone sins against someone else, especially when, you know what, there are people that are related or they love one another and they express that, it quenches that relationship. It puts a hindrance on it. Look, and it's the same with the Lord. And it's not to say that in Christ, God quits loving us. He never does. And in fact, out of his love for us and wanting the best for us is really for the believer, while that, why in part that anger's there? Because we're hindering that fellowship. And God does want what is best for us. Now we'll see here again, that this man Achan, that he took the accursed thing and he hid it in his tent. And it's easy to be in that place where outwardly, boy, it looks, everything looks good because no one knew. Joshua didn't have a clue. It wasn't until the Lord said, there's a problem here. And then the Lord broke down how to discern where the problem was and how to get to the bottom of it. Before that, no one knew but Achan and the Lord. And then when they go out to this next place to battle and they start losing, they probably started thinking, you know, what's, what's going on here? There's obviously a, a problem in the camp. Look at Noah knew, but you know who did know? God knew. And he knew every step along the way. And I think it's very easy to get into a place where outwardly it looks like, boy, everything's business as usual and so forth. And we take things that God has told us to abstain from, to flee from, you know, to at the minimum, you know, wrestle with and fight with versus just receiving them and making provision for them. We can't fool the Lord. And God absolutely is going to deal with those things with us. Again, the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. So again, it was more than just a stumbling. It was an act of, of greed. It was an act of really idolatry, of worshiping the God of his belly and even bowing down to the accursed things that he'd be better off serving those than walking in the Lord's counsel. And I kind of touched on already, but it was interesting. I, I, I kind of started looking around online uh, of, of just the idea of the anger of the Lord that's throughout the scripture. Because I hear all the time, again, people saying, well, God never gets angry. God's never angry with us. God never gets upset. He's just love. I mean, do you hear that? And so I even did a, a, a search Bible verses on the anger of the Lord. And nothing came up. It was all about our anger and God, you know what, telling us don't be angry and that kind of stuff. So then I just went to a straight concordance. I put anger of the Lord and over 30 Old Testament verses, just the Old Testament. I didn't even get into the wrath of the Lord, which anger of the Lord and wrath of the Lord, it's basically the same thing. I know we're in the hundreds of that. Why is it not coming up? Because again, just this misconception of this idea that God is love, God is love, God is love, and that's all he is. And he is love. He is all loving, but he also is the holy, righteous judge. And his anger burns against sin in the world. And he's not pleased with it in our lives. Again, when we mock him by facilitating it, practicing it, trying to use grace as a license to go out and pursue it. In fact, there in Jude, it says when we do that, we deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that speaking of a denying him as Lord or is it speaking of us just denying him working in our lives? It probably can be one or the other. But I'll tell you, I wouldn't want to, 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 to try to find out and walking in that all of my days. I know that. And again, this is just a little sample size of 
some of the places where it speaks of it. There in Deuteronomy 6.14, he says, you should not go after other gods, but the gods of the people who are all around you. For the Lord your God, notice, is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. And it's really interesting in looking up some verses on anger of the Lord, a lot of it's associated with idolatry. That when we go after idols and put other things before the Lord, it stirs his anger because he's jealous. He's God. And it's not a jealousy like we would have in selfishness. But again, it's a jealousy for us because he knows when we pursue him, blessings come from that. Abundance of life comes from walking with the Lord. Where these idols that get set up, you know what? They still kill and destroy and it grieves the heart of God. Judges 2.14, another place it says, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the plunders who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. And this is in Judges where that pattern was, where they, they would forget God and fall into these patterns of sin, and then the Lord would give them over to a bondage to a nation that would oppress them. In his love for them, he would do that. He wouldn't let them flourish in the rebellion against God. He doesn't pour out his Holy Spirit on willful rebellion that's facilitated. And then they would always come to that place of just brokenness, Lord, we need you. And what would God do? He would always, time and time again, raise up a deliverer, raise up a judge, raise up a type of Christ who would come in and when they would humble the hearts, bring victory over their oppressors and bring correction to the land. And praise God for Jesus. Boy, if it wasn't for him, there would be nowhere for that anger to go for our debt to be paid, but Christ took that wrath due us upon himself. And that's a glorious thing. Interesting, First Chronicles 13, 10 David is moving the ark, but he's not doing it according to the biblical manner of the Levites moving the ark with poles. Instead, they have a cart with wheels, and they have a couple men who aren't Levites moving it. And we know it, the, the, the oxen stumbles, and a man named Uzzah puts his hand out to touch the ark. It says, Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the cart, and he died there before God. God was upset because they were worshiping in a manner not prescribed by God. They were doing things their own way. And then it says that David got upset with the Lord. <laughs> and then after he stepped back and the ark goes to the house of a guy named Obed-Edom and the Lord blesses it and he gets in the word and says, wait a minute, we didn't do this the right way. And he comes back again and they move it the right way. They go six paces, they make a sacrifice and it's where we read David dancing before the Lord because I'll tell you, there's a joy when you're walking on that fellowship with God versus when he was doing things his own way and the hand of the Lord brought a correction. A couple more verses on this and then we'll really pick up the pace. But notice Jeremiah 23, 20. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he's executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. And he was speaking there about the captivity that was about to come upon Judah and the rebellion. But then interesting, look what he says next. In the latter days, you'll understand it perfectly. In the latter days, you'll understand the anger of the Lord. We're in the latter days, guys. Again, anger and wrath, the anger of the Lord, the wrath of God, they're, they're, they're virtually the same. I guess you could argue the wrath is even more of a pouring out or an acting on the anger. But in all these cases where there's anger, we see that there's correction. There's a, it's not God just saying, I'm angry. It's God bringing correction. It's God, you know what, bringing judgment. But interesting, Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And these are last days verses against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And, and we know how the text goes from there. It's, it's, it's speaking about cultures and individuals that aren't thankful to God. They don't give glory to God. And so God gives them over to a deprived mind where they worship creation over the creator. Then he talks about giving them up to unrighteousness. Where again, it's not a struggle, but it's, these are just things they're, they're embracing and saying they're good and wholesome and so forth. And 
we know and, and we spent a few years talking about the end of the age the lord's coming back and again this is an age of grace he's calling all to himself right now to come and get washed and forgiven but but eventually the dam's going to break so to speak and the lord's going to come back and he's going to judge the nations and again this anger is driven really against sin and walking in sin and idolatry which hurts us and hurts others and absolutely takes away from his glory and praise and a fear of god recognizes this a fear of the lord recognizes that yes god is loving thank you lord i love you lord but it also recognizes that god hates sin and to recognize I can't walk in a deception and fudge the books and think I can just willfully sow things into my life and walk in them and not expect God to bring a correction to me. That's why we looked at Sunday and it says the fear of God's the beginning of wisdom. You, you start living, a, 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 you know, a, a lot better when you begin to walk with the fear of God. You make more wise decisions. You want to shun the fear of God. Again, stupid decisions are going to follow that that is not going to be to your nor my benefit. Verse 2, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is besides Beth Haven, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. So they're, they're walking in the same pattern that they did with Jericho. Go out and check out the next city. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Don't let all the people go up, but let two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are very few. And at this point, Joshua didn't know there was sin in the camp. But really, you know what? There, there's, there's spies sent out and there's things going, but it was all a waste of time. They're really spinning their wheels here. Like Achan is, is, is not only going to cost Israel lives but it's costing them time and time's precious we only get so much of it and it's amazing to me how sin just sucks up time and it sucks up resources and it takes away from other things that can be being done to the glory of god almighty i marvel over the years you know at, uh, having the blessing of of pastoring for you know in my in my 25th year right now as senior pastor how at times how how you know, uh, uh, there will be an, an, an act of an agent, you know, a, a type of sin where something's buried. And it just ends up sucking up all the time in the world. Because someone just wants to be rebellious and do their own thing. And oftentimes, again, it's associated with burying it and hiding it. And then it comes to the surface and there's ugliness. And all this time and all this attention and all this correction and all these prayer meetings and all these meetings and so forth. And it's like... Why don't you just repent so we can get moving forward in the Lord? Because we're dealing with this nonsense while there's people out here perishing and there's so many other people that are saying, I want to get fed and grow. And then all this squeaky wheels getting all this grease and all this attention. And it often happens again in our own life where if we want to facilitate things and then just hide them and then play Christian even in our own mind, we're wasting time. When there's a grieving of the Spirit of God, it's acts of the flesh that are taking place. So they come back to Joshua and they say, hey, don't worry about it. Two or 3,000 guys, this is a little podunk place. We're, we're going to take it. Don't worry, all the people. You know, we don't need all hands on deck. Heard a great sermon on this a while back. You know, just even looking at this aspect of it. We don't need everybody, but in, actual, in actuality, we do. The Bible says, as each of us have received a gift, minister it to one another. And um, even on our own bodies, we need all the parts of the body functioning to really walk in health. Verse 4, so about 3,000 men, uh, 3, men went up from the people, and then notice. And they just had a great victory over a fortified city. And now this is a smaller place with far less people and it's far less fortified. But they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men. For they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. 
There's a great truth here. Listen, we can't stand before the enemy when our lives are not right before the Lord. It's amazing how sin will strip us of the ability to have victory over, over even weaker things. Because again, God does not empower rebellion. Look at the Bible speaks of quenching and grieving the spirit of God. And he's talking to Christians there. When we take things and bury them and facilitate them and so forth. I mean, God's grace is there to, to influence us to live for the glory of God. Start reading about grace. It's not just an agent of salvation. It's an agent of empowerment to walk a victorious Christian life and the law of freedom. Never to be used as an excuse to go embrace sin and to hide it in my heart and to walk in it and then even to spread such heresies to others. And the crazy thing about this is this one man's sin, this embracing of evil, it affected the whole group. We're fooling ourselves if we think that we can hide sin in our heart and it's not going to affect others. It does. It does practically oftentimes. And it can absolutely affect others spiritually, especially in your own home. Like I try to tell men all the time, you want to walk in pornography, you want to look at that stuff, you want to hide it, make provision, and you think no one knows, you better know that you are knocking down a hedge of protection around your marriage and around your children. And it's like living in a... In a in a rough neighborhood and just leaving your door open all night, you would never do that. And that you're willfully allowing the enemy to come in and not standing in the call of God upon you. This is Ecclesiastes 9.18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. This is one man's sin. 36 men are already dead. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, your glorying is not good. Do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Again, speaking of an issue of gross sin within that church that was not being addressed. And he says, purge it out, lest it spread, lest it become the norm. Listen to James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. When we submit to God, the devil flees. But if there's things we do not want to submit to God, we want to submit to sin, the devil's going to come in and he is going to trouble you. Just like what was going on there in Israel. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, and the el he and the elders, and they put dust on their heads. This is good. This is a good response. He doesn't know what's going on. Let me fall on my face before the Lord. Boy, let us learn from that. But then what comes next is not good. Because Joshua, this mighty man of God, whose fame is being spread as a man of God, God's established him even amongst the people, and he's hearing from the Lord and walking in truth. In the midst of a setback, we see him being influenced by the wicked theologians of the day. Notice verse 7, and Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Boy, how many times have we seen in that last 40 years where the Israelites would say, You just brought us out here to kill us. There weren't enough graves in Egypt. That's bad theology. God never said that. God said, I'm bringing you out to get you victory. They said that. And it's their sin that kept them from walking in victory. And then he says, oh, that we've been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. Well, God said, go into the promised land and I'll give it to you. Yeah, we want to be content in the Lord, but not content in not moving forward in the Lord. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Well, you talk about heavily leaning on his own understanding. There's a setback, and boy, he just got it played out all the way down, you know, what's going to unfold and so forth. And again, he's cleaving to 
wicked theology here. Even blaming God when the issue was in their camp. Verse 10, so the Lord said to Joshua, notice here two words, get up with an exclamation point. Get up, why do you lie thus on your face? There's a time to get on your face, there's a time to get up. There's a time to mourn, there's a time to act. How often do we wallow in defeat feeling sorry for ourselves when in reality we need to rise up and deal with sinful situations? Deal in areas where the Lord has told us to abstain from that we dabble in. And I mentioned an issue of pornography that's so prevalent in our culture, but how about, I talk about it oftentimes, because I so oftentimes see it, unforgiveness and bitterness. And people just take it and they bury it in their heart and they just walk defeated everywhere they go and then it even moves into this, you know, woe is me type thing. And God would say, get up and deal with the sin. Start forgiving people. Bring it before the Lord. Put your feelings in submission to the word of God. Then you can start walking in victory. I mean, jealousy and envy, all kinds of things. I mean, the list of sin just goes on and on and on, does it not? We all have those sins that the Bible says that easily, you know what, stumble us. Verse 11, God says, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my, my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. They have also put, uh, and have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. And that translates into the new covenant. But turn their backs before the enemy because they have, been they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed things among you. Now, I believe, again, because Joshua is broken before the Lord, even, you know, because we talk about the anger of the Lord, but look how gracious God is here. Joshua is charging God with their defeat. Aren't you glad God's gracious to it and merciful to us? God looked past that nonsense that he's uttering and praise God looked at his brokenness. Amazing how you see the great grace of God even in the midst of God's anger. And he says here, they're doomed to destruction if this isn't dealt with. That's not a small, small, you know what? Those aren't small words. And praise God, we are saved by grace through faith. And it's his blood that, that will, will, you know what? usher us into glory but how often do you see people that their witness is destroyed and their life is even squandered because they want to bring accursed things into their life and walk in them he basically says i'm not going to be with you if you don't deal with this again i'm not going to empower you if you're going to walk in this rebellion and I'm convinced while the church in the, in the West is so pathetic and weak and crumbling because it just has brought so many accursed things in it. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And if you want to embrace evil and make provision for evil and make God's grace a covering for evil, there's going to be a quenching of the Spirit of God. There absolutely is. Men can manufacture a lot of things, but they cannot manufacture the unction of the Holy Ghost. Again, the second time, get up. Get up. Sanctify the people. And say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Now this was a call to them to personally repent. Sanctify yourself. And we'll, we'll get through the end of this here shortly. Achan does not do that until the very end and, and it costs him his life and his family his life. I have to wonder if, if beforehand if he would have just 
admitted it and brought it if this would have ended differently. But how many times do we bury something and, and, and we got to go all the way deep into the woodshed to finally have to deal with it, you know? <laughs> so get up and deal with it. And I'll tell you when it comes to spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare, because, you know, that's the application here. They're, they're battling their enemy. And we know we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. So many people think that spiritual warfare starts with rebuking the devil. Re I rebuke you, devil. When it really should start with us repenting and sanctifying ourselves before God. Because I'll tell you, the devil laughs when Christians rebuke him while they're making provision for sin. Because they're giving him a legal right to come in and wreak havoc in their life. Ecclesiastes 10.8 he who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. You want to willfully break down that wall? You can rebuke that devil all day, but you want to go dabble in all this sin and make provision and not confess it before God and deal with it? You're giving the devil an open door not only to wreak havoc on you, but even wreak havoc on those around you. I really believe if men could see into the spirit world and see what happens when they dabble in lust and pornography and what that's doing to their family, their marriage, their kids, it would so scare them straight they would never want to do that again. Because it's a form of witchcraft, a form of rebellion, and it 100% opens the door. And don't blaspheme God by taking God's grace and saying, it's all good. Because you're denying Jesus Christ when you do that. Notice 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Notice, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for opportunity. Who can I devour? He's talking to Christians here. The world's already under the sway of the wicked one. He's talking to believers here. Be sober, be vigilant, be aware of your life and what's going on. Because the devil's walking around looking for where those opportunities are. Where the hedge is, you know, broken, where he can walk in. Again, resist him. Steadfast in the faith. Steadfast with the Lord. Again, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Again, knowing this is difficult at times, but you're not in this alone. And I say, if there would be far more repenting, there would have to be, there could be far less rebuking, and the rebuking would actually repel the, the enemy. Verse 14, in the morning, therefore, you shall... Be, shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be, notice here, burned with fire. And he and all that he has, because he's transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Again, God knows everything. Achan is hearing this now, and yet he continues to keep it hidden. But sooner or later, God brings it all into the light. And God's giving them a method to discern what's going on, to discern the evil in the camp. We have methods of discernment God's given to us. It starts with God's word and comparing things to God's word. It starts with the fruit that's coming out of a matter. It starts with witnesses given and then oftentimes even prophetic insight given by God. There's been more than one time when, when I've had people come to me or just a, a, a prophetic insight from the Lord of, hey, there's a matter here that's just wrong and, and it, it, needs, it needs to be investigated. It needs to be looked into. A stirring of the heart. And sometimes, again, that could be about ourselves. There's times when the Lord stirred me about me. You're not seeing this, but this is an issue here. We want to walk in that. And again, bringing everything back to the God's word. And then notice here, 
whoever has done this is going to be burned with fire. Again, the accursed things would be burned with fire. The gold and silver was going to the treasury of the Lord. And we'll see part of this was, a, was garments off of a rebellious man that he lusted after. It was to be burned with fire, but because he cleaved to it, he says, he's going to be burned with fire now. Guys, you got to get the curse off you. And again, we're talking positionally with God. Praise God, Jesus Christ bore our curse and we have salvation in the glory of God before us through faith in Him. But again, practically in our life, if we want to bring things in, the, the proverb says, look at, you're going to bring fire into your bosom, you're going to get burned. You just absolutely are. Verse 16, so Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. The tribes of Judah was taken and out of the clan of Judah. He took the family of uh, Zarhittites, and he brought the family of Zarhits man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, Achan, the son of Camri, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And sadly, Achan this whole time is hiding out instead of crying out. I guess hoping that maybe someone else did the same thing and they would be brought out and not him. You know, when it started getting willowed down more and more, he had to have that lump in his throat. There had to have been that sinking feeling. <laughs> but it's like, it just seems like the, the lack of fear of God and I'm seen all the way to the end. I mean, when men really repent, they don't care who sees what. They just want to be right with God. And it's like he wanted to hide it as long as he possibly could. We'll, we'll see in a minute there's an omission of sin. We, we, we would hope that that was genuine. Sometimes people's repentance, though, it's more because they got caught versus actually repenting before God. It's worldly sorrow versus godly. Verse 19, now Joshua said to Achim, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. Make confession to him. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And I think this was Joshua. You know, we see Jesus here in Joshua concerned about this man's soul. Confess it before God. Give glory to God. Joshua knows you're about to be burned. This is not only a spiritual matter, but, but, but a civil matter. And you ain't going to be walking scot-free on this to make everyone think of, you know, there's really no consequences. We'll, we'll get to that here in a second because that's a problem today. But your soul is hanging in the balance. Confess your sin and give glory to God because you're about to die. And ancient answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, that's an accursed thing, and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, that belonged to God. I coveted them and took them, and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Good on H, and he finally confessed it. You hope, you hope, I hope I see this man in glory. I hope this wasn't a worldly sorrow but it was a true repentance. I, I, I don't know about you, but I know in my life when I've had things buried and hidden and so forth, when I finally brought it into the light and just said, you know, let the consequences be what they'll be. I just need to get right with God. It's like all the weight of the world comes off. He isn't in a good place to be. And just know, you know what? You know what? Let people think what they want to think. Let them think that we want to think. Let's just get it right before God. But notice here, Look at it again. He didn't heed the word. He didn't have a fear of God. That, that was his problem going into it. God had given the command. He said, oh, whatever. God's loving, man. God is love. God's love. He's not going to do anything like this. Boy, you hear so many people again today talk about how oh, that's not my God. My God's a God of love. That's not the God of the Bible then. You think Jesus went to the cross just to go to the cross? No, he went to make that way of salvation. He didn't heed God's word. He didn't fear God. The lack of fear of God makes us just do dumb stuff. 
And then when he saw those things, he saw the beautiful Babylonian garment and the, and the, the treasure there, he didn't look away. You're going to see things that want to draw you in. Can anyone bear witness? We got to look away. And then he saw the spoil of having more value than obeying God. He thought, I'll be better off with this than obeying God. Listen, after Jericho, every city they took, God gave the spoil to them. These, these guys, when they finally ended up in Canaan, were filthy rich. Filthy rich. What God has for us is always better. Then listen, as he looked at it, and he perceived it having more value than obeying God... Again, it brought forth the lust. It brought, as he says here, covetousness. He coveted them. And then he thiefed it because it belonged to the Lord. And then he went and covered it up. James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does himself tempt anyone. But listen to verse 14. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. And again, he was forgiven if it was a genuine repentance. We really don't got reason to question that it wasn't other than he waited so long, and was it finally he got caught? He didn't, I, you know, he, he, the process was going you know, you would hope even when it got down to his family, it's me. But no, he waits to the end. God knows that. He does confess it though. Again, God knows. And it does seem to be a genuine confession. We confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, cleanse us from all righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. But hear this, there were still consequences. So Joshua sent messengers, they ran to the tent, and there it was hidden in the tent, the silver under it, and they took it from the midst of the tent and brought them to Joshua, to all the children of Israel, and laid them before the Lord. Look, and he brought a cursed thing in, and he also stole from God, and you can't rob God. I don't got time to get in the verses, we talked about it last week. God's books always get balanced. They always do. Then Joshua, verse 24, and all Israel with them took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, and then notice his sons and daughters. You don't think your sin's going to affect your family and kids? You're not reading and believing the Bible. Don't be an Achan. Or some call him Achan. And he's Achan right now. His sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep. Now it would be his labradoodles. His tent and all that they ha he had, and they brought it to the valley of, of Achor. And Achan, again, he had sinned against Israel. Now all Israel is going to... Bring a judgment against them. It's kind of a picture of the church judging the angels in the world to a degree. And then notice how this ends in verse 25. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? Again, sin brings so much trouble, so much disruption. He troubled, 36 men were dead because he didn't fear God. Don't take this lightly. Don't say, well, that's Old Testament. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are glorious pictures of grace and mercy throughout the Old Testament. Some of the stuff that these guys walk in forever. I mean, even look amongst the patriarchs, all the polygamy that was completely outside of God's will. And it always was problematic, but God was gracious with them because in their short-sightedness, they thought they were helping God bring forth the Messiah of the world. He didn't no help with that. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? And then notice, the Lord will trouble you this day. You're going to sow trouble? Trouble's going to come. So all Israel stoned them with stones. And notice, they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. 
This man brought a judgment on his whole family. And some say, well, that wasn't fair. Look at his sons and daughters at any time could have said, dudes in sin. Especially when they started seeing it all unfold. And they went along with it. Oh, we got an inheritance here. A big old wedge of gold and all this silver. And one day I'll wear those garments. I'll wear those clothes that my dad's walking in now. And they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been the valley of, of Achor till this day. And again, look at it, it was a spiritual matter and it was also a civil matter. And so there was an execution here. The Bible talks about in the last days, lawlessness will abound. I don't got time to read it, but Jesus speaks of it there in Matthew 24 and verse 12. He says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And we know one of the names of the Antichrist is the man of lawlessness, where there's no respect for the law. And there's so much wickedness done today out of a lack of fear of God, but also even a lack of fear of man's law. Where people just blatantly walk in rebellion because they know, eh, ain't gonna be no consequences. Catch and release. Keep it under a thousand dollars, and they won't even come out to deal with the issue. This was done to send a message to all of Israel: fear God. Fear God. When there's not consequences for these things, it spreads like wildfire and you get a lawless culture out of it and we're living in one right now i mean we live in a crime infested world where there's such a lack of fear of god and if people aren't going to fear the authorities they see you think they're going to fear god who they can't see one other note here listen there's a pattern of these incidences in scripture that always seem to be at the new beginnings of things it's interesting when the, the tabernacles first set up and they, they start in the sacrifice. It's about 40 years earlier than this. Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, they bring strange fire to the altar. Again, no fear of God, and God strikes them dead. And you see H in here. Now they're going, into, they're going into the promised land. No fear of God. God strikes them dead. And you're like, oh, that Old Testament stuff. Please go read the book of Acts about Ananias and Sapphira. These things are written for example. No fear of God. They give partially of what they sold to the Lord. Praise God for that. But they want a credit for all of it. And Peter says, you haven't lied against men. You've lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And God struck him down dead. Why? Because he's trying to set a precedence at the beginning. Fear me and continue to walk in the fear of God all of your days. Lord God, we just bless your name. I pray, God, that we would understand your holiness, Lord. Lord, I hope and pray we'd understand that even your anger, it is fueled out of your love for us, God. You know, Lord, you know all our hearts and our lives and what's going on in them. Lord, you know them better than, than we know them and we know that's why david even asked you to search his heart help us to be a people lord that keep short accounts with you we do thank you so much for your grace and mercy god without it we have no hope at all i would hope we wouldn't be found a people abusing that grace we'd understand yes we have freedom all things are lawful but i've been called to walk in a manner worthy of the call of Christ to walk according to the law of liberty, which is a life lived for the Lord. Help us in that, God. Now, Lord, if there's things tonight that, Lord, perhaps, Lord, someone or, Lord, anyone here has hidden, and maybe it's just something that it's buried down there, and, and it's been there so long, they even think that they can't live without it, or, Maybe it's just something they're holding on to. And, you know, God, uh, it needs to be brought to you. I just pray, God, you give them the faith and the courage and all that they need to bring that before you and not prolong it like Achan did.
help us in these things, God. We need it desperately. We, we, got, a, we got a flesh nature that's drawn to the accursed things. And so, Lord, we need a continual filling of your spirit and renewal of our mind, God. We want to grow in wisdom and the fear of the Lord. And God, know that that's where life's found. We're not losing our life. When we say no to that stuff, we're abounding in it. So help us, God. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. You're so good to us. I thank you, Lord, that even on top of that, God, when we do, just I'm, I'm surrender. You restore what the locusts have eaten. And Lord, even as ancient died and it took away the anger of the Lord, Jesus, we thank you that you died for our sins. That you took the wrath due us upon yourself. Lord, we have salvation through you and what you've done for us, God. Look, if you're here tonight and you haven't called upon the Lord, today's the day of salvation. Scriptures say whoever call, calls upon the Lord will be saved. And, and that's a matter of, 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 of doing that in a real way with God. Oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. I want you to be the, my Lord all of my days, God. Meet me where I am. He will. He absolutely will. Lord, bless the rest of our evening and, Lord, this week before us and into the weekend. And once again, just pray for a great blessing on Friday evening, God, downtown there, the Lord willing, and, Lord, with the play coming up and, and all these things, God. You're just so good to us, and we thank you and praise you. We pray these things tonight in Jesus' name, and we said together, amen. God bless you.